transformed uh, as a believer. And if you didn't know already, one of the requirements for being a believer is that you must change. Uh, there's no such thing as a Christian who doesn't change because uh, God's words lets us know that you, you used to be like something and then you got saved and now you should be like something else. Amen. Uh, and so I've been tasked with um, bringing the word today and, and talking a little bit about what, what that change looks like and how that change happens. So if you would, please stand with you, uh, to your feet. Um, open up your Bibles to James chapter 1, verse 19. By the way, I got to update my bio too because I did graduate. Amen, somebody. Amen. No more schoolwork and papers and late-night reading sessions. Amen. Somebody felt that in their spirit. Somebody's with me. Amen. James chapter 1, beginning at verse 19. I'm going to read down through uh, verse 25 uh, for your hearing. If you're there, say amen. 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 If you're not there, it's on the screen. Amen. Verse 19. My dear brothers and sisters, understand this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger for Human anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. Therefore, ridding yourselves of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, humbly receive the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves, because if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like someone looking at his own face in a mirror. And for he looks at himself, it goes away and immediately forgets what kind of person he was. But the one who looks intently into the perfect law of freedom and perseveres in it and is not a forgetful hearer but a doer who works, this person will be blessed in what he does. If I could spend a little bit of time uh, this morning, the title of our text today is Change Only Comes by the Word. Change only comes by the Word. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful uh, that you have given us the privilege of opening your Word that we have access to you through Jesus Christ and we have access to your word to know what it is that you say about yourself, what it is that you say about us, the truthfulness that exists in your word, the intimacy that we can have with you through your word. You give us instruction on how we can live so that we might please you. And so God, we, we take priority and give priority to your word because it is central in everything that we do. And so may our hearts align with your word. May what we believe align with your word. May our lives align with your word because your word is truth. And you said that you would sanctify us by your truth, by your word. And so, God, we pray that you would do that this morning for us on our behalf. By
I'm used to preaching without a mic, so whether that worked or not, we was going to get in this word today, just so y'all know. Amen. Change only comes by the word, James chapter uh, 1. So, you know, phones are, phones are a funny thing. Uh, how many people in here have a cell phone? Almost everybody, I would hope so at, at this point. Um, somewhere in the New Testament, uh, the Bible says that the wise among us use iPhones. Um, I don't know if there are any iPhone users in the house, um, but iPhones just make life easier. You know, especially if, you, if you're if you an Apple, you've got all the Apple products, you know, so I have my iPhone, I've got my iPad, my, my MacBook Pro, you know, I've got an Apple TV at home, and it just all connects and syncs wonderfully, right? So if you're not a, an Apple user, I, I, I invite you to come over to where life is, life, life abundantly. But, but the funny things about iPhones, or phones in general, but especially the iPhone, is they come up with a new iPhone every year, each and every year. And each and every year, you have people that bought last year's iPhone that come in to spend another $800 to $1,000 to buy the same exact phone that might have a slightly better camera <laughs> or that might have different emojis that it didn't have the year before. Basically, all I'm trying to say is that every year I can go get an iPhone, but it might not have changed significantly. You can get a new phone, but there's no change that actually matters when I pick that new phone up. So the question I think James is asking us in this text is, what, what change have you seen in your life from year to year, from moment to moment? What in your life has changed that matters? What plans do you have for this upcoming and current year that matter? Because James is going to let us know that, that change happens all the time, but there are certain types of change that really don't have any significance, and then there's the type of change that actually matters. For the believer, for the follower of Jesus Christ, for those who have known him by faith, through grace, through the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross, there should be significant and change that happens in your life that matters each and every day. So we get to our, our text here in James chapter 1, and James is writing to a, a a primarily Jewish audience that has been uh, dispersed abroad uh, because of persecution. Uh, and he's writing to them because there have been some issues that have crept up in this group of believers as they've been dispersed. And he's noticed some things that have taken place in the life of God's people uh, that should not be there and don't represent God's reign in their life. One of those things is that they have failed to put their prey practice uh, their faith into practice and have become worldly, meaning that, that what they say they believe does not seem evident in how they live. I, I know we don't have anybody like that here in the church, that, that say that they love God, say that they obey God, say that they believe Jesus died on the cross for their sins, but their life looks nothing like that of a Christian. 
Not, not only that, but when they go through difficulty, they face trials with immaturity. Meaning that, that every time something goes wrong in your, in your life, you begin to blame God and blame others and, and cry and, and whine, not realizing that the entire Bible from Genesis to Revelations lets us know that being a follower of Jesus Christ is difficult. That's why he says that you got to count the costs. Because, because if you're going to follow him, then difficulty and trials is a part of the Christian walk. It's a, it's a part of what God utilizes by his grace to booby trap your life to make sure that you're going to follow him well. But they, 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 they couldn't handle it. They began to blame and, and cry. And why, God, why does this got to happen to me? You don't care about me, God. I've been reading my Bible. I shouldn't have to go through anything. If you loved me, if you saw how hard I was working for you, you know, in the church, you would, I ain't cussed all week this week, God. And you, 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 look, that's what we do. Because as Christians, we operate oftentimes from a health, wealth, and prosperity gospel, even if we say we don't believe it. We think because we've lived well enough before God that we don't have to go through anything. But God here is saying, no, there's a purpose for why you go through things. In James chapter 1, he begins and said, he says, he says, consider it a great joy. Because you're going through these various trials produces things and you produces perseverance, produces character. Not only that, but he says, he says, you know, the people of God, you know, you know, they they, they like to operate in cliques and show favoritism. So they, they're not welcoming to outsiders, and they, they look down on people who don't have it as well as them. And so they like to get around just the people that think like them and look like them and are friendly to them, but they don't love those who don't love them. It says their lives don't mirror what they say, and they don't know how to control their tongues. They're confrontational and petty and contentious. And James here is beginning to address the truth of the matter, which is that God's people don't look like God's people. So here I want to just put before you, if I can, that change only comes by the word. Because too often we try to change outside of God's word. We try to change on our own strength by our own might, by the wisdom of mere men. And God's word says that you only change when God's word has been rooted in your heart. How can I keep my way pure? I will keep it according to your word. I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against it. The only way that you know how to live for God by the power of God is living it according to the word. I've got three points this morning that I'm going to be out your way. The first point is simply this. Change happens when you receive the word. Change happens when you receive the word. James starts off, he says, brothers and sisters, understand this. I want you to understand this. Make sure everybody who's reading this letter, as this letter gets passed around amongst the, the Jews who are dispersed, make sure everybody understands this because I'm pretty sure People in general just don't get this. I'll be honest and say I struggle with this at times myself. Be quick to listen and slow to speak. I know it's quiet in here because this text is talking about you. So if you can't say ouch, just say amen. Be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to to anger. 
For human anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. Now, he doesn't say that anger doesn't accomplish God's righteousness. He says human anger doesn't accomplish God's righteousness. See, see, one, one of the things about us that we don't often realize, or maybe we do, is being angry feels good. Like, sometimes I like being angry. Like, when you, when you make me mad, I, listen, y'all don't look differently at Pastor Kirk because I'm being honest. I'm just saying what I know to be true, even if you don't want to admit it, right? Being angry feels good. That's why you don't go repent quickly. That's why you stew in your emotions and in your mind and replay how they hurt you over and over and over again, because it feels good to be angry. But here he says, it's not just that anger doesn't produce the righteousness of God. It's the type of anger that we utilize that doesn't produce the anger, the, uh, the righteousness of God. That's why uh, Paul writes in Ephesians 4.26, what does he say? He says, be angry, but sin not. The problem is we always think that when we're angry, we're not in sin. Or just because somebody hurt us, that our response means that we're justified in responding in ungodly anger because they hurt us first. Therefore, their hurt nullifies our sin. James' simple point is that human anger doesn't produce behavior that is pleasing to God because human anger is a product of an unwillingness to listen and is at odds with God's righteousness. And so here he's trying to, to get the people to understand, listen, when it... When it comes to receiving God's word, there is something about uh, an unwillingness to listen. There's something about somebody who runs their mouth all the time and thinks they always have the right answer and always knows what to do and can never sit down and listen to anybody, can never receive instruction. That type of person doesn't listen to God's word because they're too busy talking and too busy being angry when they've been challenged. He says, he says, first let them understand that they need to be quick to listen and slow to speak because it doesn't produce the righteousness of God. He says, therefore, ridding yourselves of all moral filth. I like that phrase, ridding yourselves. It has there uh, the idea of taking off or, or getting rid of re or removing clothing. And so in, in the New Testament, when, when you see that phrase, ridding yourselves of, it is oftentimes talking about or giving the idea of to take something off primarily to take clothes off in the sense of because clothing was or the taking off of clothes was identified as filth and dirtiness. And that's why, that's why uh, 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 Paul often writes taking off the old man and putting on the new man. And, and, and there's this idea of removing something that you should not have on so that you can put something else on in its place. And so here he's saying that, that you need to be ready to remove all moral filth and evil that is so prevalent. Remove all moral filth and evil that is so prevalent. That has this idea of both restraint and renunciation. Are you with me? Re say restraint. restraint. Renunciation. renunciation. So taking off involves both restraint, meaning that you're going to want to do those things. What you take off it's not something that you don't want to do. It's something that you've already been doing. It is, a, it is a, a behavior and characteristics that have been a part of your life before you knew Jesus Christ. I don't know if you know this or not, but there was a time in your life that you did not know Jesus Christ. You ain't been saved your whole life. 
Just because you grew up in the church don't mean you've been saved your whole life. Restraint means that there are some behaviors, there are some ideas, there are some beliefs that I hold on to that have been a part of me sometimes longer than I've known Jesus Christ. If you didn't come to faith until your teens or 20s, some of you in this room have been walking on the side of darkness and operating on the side, uh, on the side of being an enemy of God longer than you've known how to be obedient to his word. Restraint does not come easily. And so here Paul is saying that, that in order to, to get rid of, to take off some things, there is an idea where you're going to have to actively pursue restraining not doing those things. But it also requires renunciation, which means that you have to believe in your mind that that thing is not the right thing to do. It's one thing to resist not doing it. It's another thing to actually believe that that thing is wrong. Because if you don't believe that that thing is wrong and not of the Lord, you'll always end up going back to that thing that you used to do. So it involves both a restraint, an initiative, initiating, actively pursuing, not doing those things, and also declaring openly that, that, things, that those things are things that I should not be doing anyway. You with me? Rid yourselves of all moral filth and evilness that is so prevalent. That, that idea of filthiness here, I, I, I like this. One commentary says that this, this term often means a wax buildup in the ear. Do, do you get the picture there? Here he's, he's talking about people who are quick to speak and slow to listen. And he says this idea of removing filthiness is often tied to a wax buildup in the ear. Meaning that you have so much evil and filth and wax in your ears that it becomes difficult to even hear what God's word is saying. That, that your life can be so mired by evil and sin and bondage and enslavement that it almost becomes near impossible to hear clearly. I, I don't know if you've ever gone to the, to the doctor and, and got your ears cleaned out. I, I've never done it. But, but I hear that it's incredible. Like they stick like a little thing in your ear and they shoot like water in it and it shoots all the wax out of your ear, right? I, I, I feel like I have to get my, one, of my, one of my daughters to go through this because my, my wife knows we tell her the same thing. Like I have to tell her one thing at a time and then she forgets real easily. And so I feel like I have to repeat myself often. And I've, I'm starting to think maybe she has a wax buildup in the ear that may, that's making it difficult to actually hear me. And so instead of just being frustrated with her, I need to fix the problem. The problem is not that she doesn't want to listen. The problem is that she can't hear because there's a wax buildup. Do you have a wax buildup in your ear when it comes to the Lord? Is it hard for you to hear what God's word is saying? Not because you don't want to, but because there are things in your life that make it difficult for you to hear the clarity of God's word in relation to how to obey him. He says, once you remove and get rid of all of this moral filth and this evil, he says, then you got to humbly receive, right? So you, you can't just get rid of. There is no getting rid of without receiving, right? You have, to, you have to fill something in the place of the things that you've now moved out of the way, right? And so you, you have to get rid of. You have to uh, get rid of all the filth and all the evil and the immorality, and, and you've, gotta, you've got to receive the implanted word of God which is able to save your souls. He's saying, 
here that he wants to focus our attention on a more basic issue than just merely adopting a new code of behavior. It's deeper than that. It's greater than that. Because if you just try to remove moral issues from your life and replace them with good behavior, that typically does not last long. All it is is behavior modification. And what happens is you tend to then operate in behavior modification. You know how to do the right things in the right settings. But then when nobody's looking, listen, I, I know this happens because I, I grew up in the church. So I was, I was one of those kids who has been in church my whole life. That, that's all I know. So I, and I know there are different types of church. Some churches shout a little bit more. Uh, some might lay out on the floor and, and do all of that. Other churches a little bit more quiet and reserved. But listen, I was great at speaking the language. I was great at dressing the dress. And so I remember being at churches like this, being at my church like this, and being encouraged by the older saints as a youth, being brought up to the front and, and, and awarded things and celebrated. And, and, and one of the things that I love about this church is it reminds me of home. Reminds me of where I grew up because there was a lot of encouragement. There was, there was a, a great desire to want to see the youth do well and achieve and love God and, and participate. And they allowed us to lead even though we weren't good at it. They allowed us to sing even we weren't, we, we weren't good at it. Y'all was good at it. Y'all was good at it. But we weren't good at it. They allowed us to do a lot of things we weren't good at because they wanted to encourage us. But one of the things they didn't do was ask us hard questions. And so when, when I was growing up in church, we did a lot of this. I sang on the youth choir, served on the junior usher board, preached at youth conferences. So I knew I, 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 was, I was the leader of leaders in, in a church. But Monday through Saturday night, I, I remember what my life looked like. I remember what my mind was like. And while I was being exalted and championed and encouraged in church, I knew that it was just because I could speak the language and get people to believe that I was somewhere where I wasn't. And Monday through Friday, no one was actually checking up on my real life to see whether or not what I was saying out of my lips on Sunday was what I actually believed through my actions Monday through Saturday night. All I'm trying to say is adopting a code of behavior is easy. So James here is not trying to get us to do that. He's trying to produce a new kind of behavior that's built upon and rooted in God's word. And so as much as you encourage these, these youth that you have in here today, you got to ask them hard questions. You have to challenge them on the inconsistencies that you see happening in your life. Don't let this be a church where you just encourage them and encourage them and then they leave and their lives look nothing like they used to. Or they, they stop walking with the, door, with the Lord and you wonder why they haven't returned back home, returned to their faith. And the truth of the matter is because no one checked on them, they never were walking with him. They knew how to act the part. I'm just sharing my story here. This may not be your youth. You may have some incredible youth here. I'm sure you have some inc incredible youth here. But I just remember what it was like for me. He says this is not just about behavior modification. He says there's something that actually needs to change in you, in your mind, and in your 
heart. You need to receive the word because only the word has the power to change you. Good advice doesn't change you. Encouragement doesn't change you. Worship music doesn't change you. The only thing that changes you for sure is the word of God. Not only are we to uh, receive the word, not only does change happen when we receive the word, but change also happens when we remember the word. There's There's this idea here in the text where remembering the word has to take place in order for it to be rooted in your heart in such a way that it actually produces change. And so he gets into this idea here in verse 22. He says, be doers of the word and not hearers only. This phrase is used in Greek literature for those who attended lectures but never actually joined the group. Did you hear me? It's like showing up to a class and sitting in the back just to listen but leaving and actually not being a part of the discussion, part of the community, part of anything that's going on. You just listen and show up and then you leave and you forget everything. He says, don't be a hearer of the word merely because you do need to hear, but, but be a doer of the word so that you don't deceive yourselves. The, the deception comes from simply thinking that listening to the word is all that you need. It's, it's interesting that we, we, we have to, here James is talking to believers, right? But even as we do evangelism sometimes, I notice a trend where we just try to, if, if we can just get them to church. If we can just get them to church so he can hear pastors preaching. If we can just get them to sit in the pews at church, something in them is going to change. No, we're falsely believing that just hearing the word is enough. He says, no, in, in order for change to happen in your life. You can't just merely hear the word. You have to do the word. You, 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 you have to take off hatred and put on kindness. That's doing the word. You have to utilize self-control so that you don't run free in licentiousness. You have to do the word. You have to replace doubting with faith. You have to do the word. That's why you have to be in your word and receive the word because you can't do what you don't know. There, there, there is nothing to do, there is nothing to put on if you don't know what to put on. There's nothing to do if you don't know what to do. It says you have to do the word. Be a doer of the word so that you don't deceive yourself by thinking that you can grow merely by listening to it. Listen, even Jesus said this, Matthew chapter 7. He says, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice. It's like a wise man who built his house on the rock. But he said, the man who hears my word and doesn't do it, it's like the fool who built his house on the sand. And when trials come and the storms of life come, it washes his house away. So even Jesus, early in his ministry, was teaching us that, that doing the word was necessary for building something that would sustain the difficulties of life got to do the word. He gets down to verse 23. He says, because if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, then he uses this illustration, which I love is he is like someone looking at his own face in a mirror. For he looks at himself, goes away and immediately forget what kind of person he was. But the one who looks intently 
in the law of freedom and persevere in it is not for a giftful hearer, but a doer of the works. And so James here begins to use, he pulls out the illustration. He says, listen, the person who hears the word but doesn't do the word, that's like waking up in the morning, getting ready for work, putting your makeup on, getting your eyelashes just right. You know, if you went to the barber, you got your, you got your edges clean. You know, for me, you know, they get your beard nice and, and right, put the little, you know, put the goodness in there and, and pick that thing out. And, and, and it's like looking in the mirror in the morning before you get to work. And as soon as you leave the mirror, you're like, man, did I get ready this morning? I can't remember. Man, man, I put red lipstick on. Do I have blue lipstick on? It's, it's like looking in a mirror. Who looks in a mirror, walks away, and forgets what they look like? He said, that's what it is for the person who hears the word and doesn't do it. He says, the, in, ancient, uh, in the ancient world, the mirror, a specially shaped piece of polished metal, was used to inspect or decorate one's body. And the ancient literature is replete with references to the mirror and its use as a metaphor for moral development. And there was a double mistake implied here by the believer who does not act upon the word of God. One, the word is being treated like a mere vision, a theory, in the sense of a detached mental image with no connection to the external world. Whereas the, world tr the word truly re reflects reality, that is the natural face and directs the beholder to, an act, to act in a certain way. Number two, we ignore the message of the word once it is received and the mere glancing at the word without corrective action is of little use. Which means for the believer, if I could break it down, it should be impossible for the believer to read God's word and not respond to it. it. It should be impossible to read God's word and not respond to it. Do, do you hear what I'm saying? There, should, there is this idea when we read God's word that we know and believe that it is so authoritative in our lives that we must respond in obedience to it. We, we must, re I, re I remember um, I was at a barbecue a few years ago in my backyard. I was in my, the, uh, at a barbecue in my, in my, in my backyard. And, um, you know, I had been walking with the Lord for some time. And was a pastor now, and, and um, I wasn't used to people talking crazy to me. You know, like, I don't like drama anyway, so it is what it is. Um, but as a pastor, you know, you get a certain respect, even if people aren't Christians. If they know you're a pastor, they give you a certain level of respect. Um, now, I'll be honest, my family a little hood. My family a little hood. Um, and one of my brothers had, had a girlfriend uh, who was coming to the house to the barbecue we were having. Never met her before. They come into the barbecue cussing and yelling and all this stuff. There's kids around, right? And so I just simply say, listen, listen, I, you know, if y'all want to argue, y'all want to do it, that's fine. I, I ain't in your business. But can you just watch the language around the kids? Right? I thought that was a nice, respectful ask. You know, I, you know, one, it ain't your house anyway. You know what I'm saying? Um, and so, you know, uh, she, she looked at me, and, and she kind of glanced at me up and down, because she was a little hood, too. Um, and, and she said, she said, I don't know who you're talking to, but you need to mind your business. I, now, now, I'm going to be honest with you. I'm going I'm to keep, keep it a whole bean right now. That, that means I'm going to keep it real with you. I'm going like, to keep it 100, right? Like, I went from saved in my mind, I went from, like, like saved as a pastor saved, to, to pre-Christ in like half a second, like half a second. And, and my wife saw my face. 
And she took my she took my kids by she can attest, she's sitting right here. She took my kids by the hand and walked them around to the front of the house. <laughs> just in not because I had done anything yet, but just in case. She was like, just in case he, he has a moment of lapse and he doesn't know, walk by the spirit, so he doesn't satisfy the desires of the flesh, just in case, I'm gonna make sure I, I want the kids to, to see this because she remembers what I used to be like. She remembers what I used to be like. Now, now some of my other siblings, they not saved dinner either. So they 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 know what I used to be like, and they heard this, and they're all looking at me, and I can feel their eyes on me like, what is Pastor Kurt about to do? Now, they don't know me as Pastor Kurt, but what is Kurt about to do? Because I know he don't, he don't take that. So I'm stewing, and I'm angry. I'm hot. So I'm like, I'm like, like who she thinks she's talking to? Like, like, first of all, I don't even know you. So, you know, I didn't say anything. By God's grace, the Lord gave me enough restraint. Restraint and renunciation, right? But, but I woke up the next morning still hot. Like it had just happened. Like, I mean, I was ready to fight hot. Like, I was ready to fight hot. And all she did was say, who you talking to? I mean, that ain't even like, I mean, what we talking about? Like, so, so I, I opened my word that morning. And, and sure enough, where, where do I land? Ephesians chapter 4. And the, the first thing I read off of Ephesians chapter 4 was, was, you can't live how you used to live. But you must take off the old man. And then he gives his list of vices. And you must put on the new man. And he gives what the fruit of the spirit looks like. And, and because I had been walking with Jesus, and because I know what his word says, and because I know that I have to obey it, that was one time where I read it and I said, God, why did I read that right now? Why, why, why? Because now that I read it, I must obey it. Right? So that's, that's what Paul is getting at here. He's saying, when you see the word, when you see the word, you have to put it into practice. There's no excuse for me to read. You can't operate how you used to operate. You can't operate in hate. You can't operate in, in fits of rage and anger. You can't uh, uh, operate in foul words and, and discourse. He says you have to operate like the new man that you are because that's not who you are anymore. He says this is the type of change that matters. This is when it shows up. Not that you can continue to just have slip-ups here and there, but that the word actually changes you. So that you don't respond the same way in situations, not because you're just trying hard on your own, but because the word of God is so deeply rooted in you and you have such an affinity for the authority of God's word that you said, whatever your word says, I'm going to do. This is the type of change that James is talking about here. He says we can't be the type of people who who see the word and know what it says, but don't do it. We can't be the type of people who forget the word practically. Forget it. Brings me to my last part. Not only should change, in order for change to happen, do you need to receive the word? And not only for change to happen, do you need to remember the word? James lets us know that for change to happen, you need to persevere in the word. Got to persevere in the word. Because following, I don't, I, maybe, maybe you don't know this, but following the Lord ain't easy. It's not easy. And if you think it's easy, easy, I just encourage you to keep living. Right? Because there's, there's this thing that Paul talks about in, in Galatians chapter 5. There's this warring that's constantly going on between the spirit and the flesh. 
and, and the spirit is trying to get you to do what the spirit wants you to do, and the flesh is trying to get you what the flesh wants you to do, and you're at war with one another trying to get you to do what they desire of you. And there's always going to be this tension when you read the word. God. See, God doesn't force you to obey him. He gives you the freedom to read his word and choose. If you love me, you will obey my commands. So we've got to persevere in the word. Look at me at verse 25, and then I'm out your way. It says, but the one who looks intently, the one who looks intently, the one who looks intently, uh, this means to stoop down in order to have a close look, to closely examine. It's, it's like when you have a, a, a leak under your, your sink in your kitchen. You can't check out the leak by looking up top in the sink. You, you've got to get down on your hands and knees and open the drawers up, and you've got to get under there, and you've got to get a flashlight. You've got to inspect closely to see where the water is dripping out. This is what he says it, it takes in order to persevere in the word. He says you have to look intently at the word. You have to examine it and, and look closely at it. it. It's not enough to just have a cursory little devotions for five minutes where you just read one scripture and, and, and say, okay, when I read that and it's good, I'm good to go. He says, no, we, we need to be students of the word. So sometimes you need to pull out some commentaries and some, some dictionaries and some lexicons. And listen, there's, in, in today's age, there's no excuse for why we can't have in-depth study of the word. There's too much free stuff at our fingertips. He says, we need to be students and studiers of the word. We need to look intently into the perfect law of freedom and persevere in it. That persevere uh, uh, lets us know that we're going to experience difficulty. There, there will be opposition to you trying to obey God's word. It doesn't, doesn't just happen. That's why I like commercials like, like Nike has where they always show somebody who's facing some type of adversity, who's struggling and, and sweating and, and getting injured along the way, and then at the end, all they simply say is just do it. See, 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 following the Christian life, obeying God's word is not easy, and you're going to face some difficulties. You're going to face some obstacles. You're going to wake up some mornings, and you're not going to want to. And I'm here to tell you there are no tricks. There are no shortcuts. There is nothing that you can apply to your life to make you do it. Sometimes you just got to get up and just do it. You just got to get up and do it. But, but I, like, I like what James says here. He doesn't just leave us here with all of these instructions or, or, or tell us how difficult it's going to be. He gives us a hope of reward at the end. Right? I, I like what he says. He says, man, you're not doing this for any old reason. Like there's, there's, there's not a, there, like there's a benefit to doing those things. There's a personal benefit for you. There's a benefit for those in your sphere of influence. Verse 25, he says, he says but the person who does this will be blessed. He says, the, the person who receives the word, the person who remembers the word, the person who perseveres in the word will be blessed. See, the question on the floor, though, is, is what is the blessing? See, the, the, the blessing here is not always a, a physical blessing, a tangible blessing, even though it can be. The blessing that he's talking about is, is the type of intimacy with God, the type of peace in your soul, the, the type of freedom you experience when you know that you're walking with him according to his word. There, there, there's a peace that God's word gives you when you're walking with him that you can't get anywhere else. 
There's a freedom that you experience and how to live life well that you don't get from anywhere else. There's a confidence and a closeness that you experience with God that you can't get from anywhere else other than just walking with him in his word and building intimacy with him in his word over time, persevering through the, the difficulties and striving for excellence even when you fail, receiving the grace that he offers through the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. I'm trying to tell you here today, as you re receive and remember and persevere in the word of God, you will be blessed. There was a, there was, there was a recent study done um, between the relationship, uh, of the relationship between Bible interaction and spiritual growth. It was a study done, it was, it was done a, a few years ago, and they were trying to figure out what correlation, is there a correlation between how often people interact with the word of God and spiritual growth? And they, they use some of the other disciplines like prayer, fasting, Bible memorization, or not Bible memorization, never fall into this, uh, but they use some of the other disciplines. And they found that 90% uh, of those who were involved of the study and, and also of the survey that they took, 90% of people who spent at least four days reading their Bible during the week experience significant change and growth in their lives in relation to their following Jesus Christ. But the majority of Christians surveyed only spent less than two. So imagine that the church, God's people, who have free access to God's word in a country where though it's becoming unpopular to be a Christian, it's not difficult to be a Christian, where we don't have to hide where we, don't have, where we have Bibles. We have Bibles all over the place. I've got four different Bibles on my phone. He says, like, how is it that Christians read their words less than twice a week when the number one deciding factor of whether or not you grow spiritually is how often you spend time in God's word? See, the, there, that survey is not new information because James has already told us that the only way that change, significant change, long-lasting, sustainable change, change that actually matters, the only way that that happens is by the word. The only way that that happens is by the word. Every head bowed and every eye closed. This is...